And we continue our, uh, our summer series, Bedtime Stories, talking about the greatest tales in the Bible, trying to make them come to life, not just so we know them, so, but so that we know how they apply to our life. And today we talk about one of the most legendary stories in all the Bible, the story of Jonah and the whale. But I want to start off with an interesting connection before we do that. Say the name Jonah, if you would. One more time. Say the name Jesus. Now say Jonah. Now say Jesus. Now say Jonah. Now say, stop letting off fireworks. Um, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to start today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to go down the aisle. We give away Bibles every Sunday here uh, at our church. If you forgot yours, if you don't have one, we're going to open God's Word and read kind of large sections at a time. It'll be on the screen. But if you have a Bible, bring one. If you don't, just wave at the usher. They'll give you one. You can keep this if you don't have one. If you have one and you just forgot it, use ours. Throw it on the table when you leave uh, and bring yours next week. Uh, but Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, uh, which is where we'll start. You say, man, how, how in the world are you going to teach about Jonah and the whale from the book of Matthew? Well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 was asked uh, to prove that he really was who he said he was. Uh, somebody came up to Jesus and they said, man, prove that you really are the Messiah. Prove that you really are the Savior of the world. Prove that, uh, that you are everything that you say you are. And Jesus said, here's how I'm going to prove it. I'm going to be like Jonah. So what we find out is we can't really know who Jesus is unless we know who Jonah is. You say, where is that? Matthew chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 38. We're going to go through verse 41. Then we're going to flip over to the story of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And we're going to read a similar statement there. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. And here's what Jesus said about Jonah and how important it is for you and I to know who Jonah is. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. If you have your Bible or a Bible and a pen, and we should have given you a pen and some sermon notes that look like this to follow along. Uh, Here's what the Pharisees were saying. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Write out in your Bible. Actually, write these two words in your Bible. Prove it. That's what they were saying. Prove it. We want you to prove you are who you say you are. Prove it. Some of the Pharisees, teachers of the law, came to him. Said, teacher, we want to see a sign from him. Now, you say, prove what? If you look just to the left in your Bible, like my, my Bible has these little headings in it that you can see. So I'm reading here the sign of Jonah. The next heading over in my Bible says Jesus and Beelzebub. Jesus had just gotten into a fight with some, uh, with some overly spiritual people named the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. He's always fighting with them. And what they, what they did is Jesus was doing all these miracles. He was healing people. He was doing awesome ministry. He had gathered this great following that was following him. And here's what they said. Because they could not do what he was doing, because they did not have the following that Jesus had, they said, listen, he's doing all of that by the power of Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan. He's doing all that by the power of Satan. And Jesus said, you're crazy. He said, listen, if I was doing it all by the power of Satan, why would I be casting out demons? He said, I'm doing it all by the power of God because the spirit in me is from God. And they say, prove it. Okay, prove it. If you're really from God, prove it. Jesus' answer is pretty strange. He answered, verse 39, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet. What's his name? Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So men came to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm from God. My message is from God. I can change lives. And they said, prove it. He said, listen, here's all you need to know. I'm going to be a lot like Jonah. 
in Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bible, just flip over there just a few pages. We see another narrative of Jesus, really kind of an expansion of this dialogue. If uh, you're in your Bible and you're, you're kind of new to your Bible, you go Matthew, then past Mark. Luke will be the second book from Matthew. Luke chapter 11 will be in verses 29 and 30. Jesus teaches through the, uh, through the same type of thing. And he says this, as people started following him. It says, as the crowds increased, Jesus said, this, wicked, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Jesus said, listen, if you want to know about me and my ministry... You have to know about Jonah, which that's kind of an easy one plus one equals two equation for us. If I want to know about Jesus, I have to know about Jonah. But my question to you would be this. Okay, we got equation number one. If I have to know about Jesus, if I want to know about Jesus, I have to know about Jonah. The second equation would be this. Jonah equals what? You know, there's a lot more to Jonah than a whale, than a fish, than the story of him being swallowed. Really, that is one of the most minor details in the story of Jonah is the fish that swallows him. But Jesus said, if you want to understand me and my ministry, you have to understand Jonah and what he did. So as we focus in bedtime story message number six today, we're focusing, according to Jesus, on one of the most critically important biblical narratives to understanding the ministry of Jesus. And that's what I want to show you today. So now we move to Jonah. If you have your Bibles, go all the way back to Jonah. Jonah is going to be one of those little minor prophet books. It's kind of really hard to find. It's only four chapters, four really short chapters. So I want you to flip. If you just find yourself, it would probably be easiest to go to the table of contents if you don't know where it is right off the top of your head. If you find yourself in the middle of the Old Testament, you'll find a big book called Psalms. It kind of looks like palms with an S in there. And then you'll go past Proverbs. And then you'll go past some of what they call the major prophets, the uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Lamentations. And then you'll get into those minor prophets. And eventually you'll find Jonah, Micah, Nahum, but you've got to just kind of flip through a little while until you can find it. And we're going to read today most of the book of Jonah. We'll read about three and a half of the few chapters. So Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and then Jonah. So if you're looking for Jonah, find Obadiah. One note, though, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament, so you might miss that one too. Again, maybe just go to the table of contents or ask your friend if uh, you're not familiar with the Old Testament. Today I want to teach you about Jonah and the whale. And I want you to take notes, and I want you to have your Bible open, I want you to have a pen. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and in Luke chapter 11, to understand Jesus, to understand the heart of Jesus, to prove that Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus said you need to know about Jonah. So today we try to learn about Jonah. And we read this in Jonah chapter 1. And I'm going to take you through slowly the book of Jonah so you can get a real good grip on what's going on. Um, It says this in Jonah 1 verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, you need to circle that word Nineveh, okay? Because we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Nineveh in a little while. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. What an odd sounding town, Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard, and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. 
All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you go to sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so we won't perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. It's kind of like pulling straws. He got the short straw. So they asked Jonah, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. Why? Because his God made the sea and the sea was angry at them at the time. So they have put two and two together that Jonah's God made the sea. The sea's mad at us. Jonah must have done something. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. Now to understand this biblical narrative. For it to begin to make even a little bit of sense. For us to look at Jonah and say, okay, I I get that. I can identify with Jonah. Uh, We have to understand point number one on your sermon notes. We have to understand the background of the story. You know, not every narrative in Scripture do you have to understand all the background on for it to make sense. But this is is one that you have to know the history of it. Um, And and forgive me, I love history. I love biblical history. I just love world history. Uh, Before I decided to go into the ministry, I was a government history major, uh, and I wanted to be a history teacher in high school. I was in secondary education. So I, I love history. I'm kind of a history buff. Um, and when we study the story of Jonah, history is really important to get the context of what we're trying to talk here. So for those of you who don't like history, you can check out now, check your email, send a couple texts, send a tweet, do whatever you want to do, and we'll catch up with you in a minute. For those, but for those of you who want to understand the background of the story, I want you to see this. Last week, we started with a guy named David, okay, and David killed Goliath. Uh, last week, man, we had an awesome, just an awesome move of God in our church, and a lot of people... Uh, men did business with God. I, I talked to people all week long who were using a common vernacular. They were talking about their giants and things they needed to face and, and kill in their life so they could move forward spiritually. But beginning with David, Israel, which is where David became king, Israel for 80 years, beginning with David. 40 years, David was the king. 40 years, his son Solomon was the king. For 80 years, Israel experienced their, their golden years. It was their golden era. I mean, Israel at that time grew to the largest it ever was, the most powerful it ever was, the most influential it ever was. I mean, Israel became really a nation state that the world recognized under David and Solomon for about 80 years. And you can see a map here. I, I want to try to show you a little bit. Um, this, this was Israel in the time of David and Solomon. And I mean, just to point out a few landmarks, you can see the Mediterranean Sea there. You can see the Arabian Desert. That That would be... Uh, modern day, getting into Saudi Arabia a little bit. Um, so, so you can see Israel laid out there. The Dead Sea's in the south. You can barely see the Sea of Galilee in the north. And Israel extends, I mean, it, it's as big as it ever was there. You see the Euphrates River at the top. That was the northern border of Israel. 
And then it went all the way down to Egypt, kind of in the Sinai Peninsula. So David and Solomon built Israel to its greatest nation state ever. But after Solomon died, there was a civil war. And go to the next map, Israel became two nations. Uh, and you can see that it literally, just north of the Dead Sea, it cut in half. And the southern, you know, we Americans should know this because we studied our civil war. The southern half of Israel renamed itself Judah. They were the confederacy, uh, if you think about it through, through an American lens. Um, and Israel to the north. So you had two states. You had Israel and you had Judah. In Israel, very quickly, Judah was where the church was. It was where the temple was. It was where God's altar was. They stayed faithful to God a little longer. Israel became just like a Las Vegas-type pagan place pretty much overnight. I mean, it, it got bad in a hurry. And what happened is Israel was having this civil war. There, there was a, a, a basically a nation in the world that rose to power very much like at one time Greece rose to power, Persia rose to power, Rome rose to power, uh, England at one point rose to power, America had it, has had its day where it's risen to power. There was a nation in the world just beginning to burgeon strong military, a lot of money, um, called Assyria. And you can go to the map here and you can see that Assyria, this is like the entire Middle East, literally Assyria began to rule the known world at the time. You can see Israel there bordered on the Mediterranean Sea. Um, you can see the Caspian Sea and the Persian Gulf. The area between that now is Iran. You see the word Assyria down to Babylon. That area is modern-day Iraq. Um, so you, you can kind of see what's laying out. And Assyria has taken over everything from northern Israel, basically all the way to what would be past modern-day Iran. Assyria took over. And Nineveh, if you look at that map, was the capital city of Assyria. It was the most powerful city of the most powerful nation in the world. But it was a nation that at, at Jonah's time was like they were lined up on Israel's border and they were shelling it every day. They were killing Israelites. They were taking land. Go to the next map if you would. You can see Assyria eventually. I can't see it very good here. Uh, but Assyria eventually, you can see Israel used to extend all the way up to the top right corner. Uh, which would be the Euphrates River. And Israel's been pushed all the way back, way past the Sea of Galilee. So they took almost two-thirds of Israel, conquered it, killed the people, moved into its cities, took all their crops, took all their money. So Israel and Assyria are like the, the world's two greatest enemies. And God calls Jonah in the midst of this. You can leave that map now. Um, God calls Jonah about 30 years before they wipe Israel out altogether. They even take the southern part of Israel. God calls Jonah and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to tell them, I know they hate you. I know they hate Israel. I know right now they're conquering everything in Israel. But I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah says, yeah, right. Uh, I ain't doing that. Uh, he wasn't special forces. He wasn't on the front line. He was a prophet, which means he was a preacher. He wasn't a military man. And God's sending him like to the front line of the battle. He's like, go knock on the door of your greatest enemy and tell him, hey, God wanted me to let you know he's going to destroy you and then like run as fast as you can like back to Israel. I mean, that, that would have been the way that Jonah heard it. So we hear the background. God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no way. You're crazy. Now, if we just read the story and we don't know the background, we're like, why would Jonah do that? Now we read it like that. That makes a lot of sense. Jonah didn't want to get himself killed. So God said, go. Jonah said, no. And he gets on a boat. It's interesting that he begins, according to the text, he brags to the guy. Say, here's what I'm doing. It said he told him when he got on the boat, hey, what's your name? My name's Jonah. What are you doing? I'm running from God. I mean, I don't know that you would announce yourself that way, but he told him, yeah, God wanted me to do this. So I'm not. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of at odds with God right now. And 
I'm going to sleep in the bottom of the boat. Storm came up. They went to Joan and said, is this your fault? And he's like, yeah, it kind of is. Uh, if, you just, if you just kill me, everything will be okay. We find out Jonah three different times in this book tries to take his own life uh, and wishes that he was dead. He's depressed. He's suicidal. Um, and he said, just, just throw me, just in my life. I'd, I would rather kill myself than risk doing what God wants me to do. Just throw me overboard. Say, so threw him overboard, and the Bible says that a fish came and swallowed him up. Now, we hear that in modern times. We think, Christian, that is, that's crazy. Um, in the late 1800s, the New York Times reported uh, that, a, uh, that a, harpo- uh, a harpooning vessel uh, was out, and, and they were fishing, and uh, they harpooned a whale. They had two little boats that were out, and they harpooned this whale, and the boat hit one of them and flipped it upside down. Uh, and two fishermen were thrown into the sea, and one of them they never saw again, and one of them, after they killed the whale the next day, they cut open his stomach, and the guy was alive. In, inside his stomach and had lived there for more than 24 hours. So this is something that's, that's actually happened before. But we read it and we're like, man, that is, that is crazy. But if you just get hung up on the fish, you miss the point of what Jesus was saying in Matthew 12, Luke 11, and what God is trying to show us in the book of Jonah. So we understand the background a little bit. And here's what we understand about Jonah. Once we understand the background and we read the rest of the book, uh, what God really wants us to learn from Jonah Jesus said it twice in Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 11. Jesus said the story of Jonah is the story number two of a hard-hearted Christian. It's the story of someone who is not on good terms with God. Story of someone who used to follow God, right? Loves God, yes, but not on good terms with God. It's someone who's not, not letting God's word penetrate their life. It's someone who feels like God wants them to go right, so they go left. Jonah is the story of hard, a hard-hearted Christian, a hard-hearted follower of God who's not going to go do what God wants them to do. And here's what's really interesting about this concept of having a hard heart. Because, uh, again, I want you to see the context. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus, they say, prove that you're from God. And Jesus said, I'm not going to do anything but be like Jonah. And he said, just like Jonah's generation was hard-hearted, you're hard-hearted. And then in Matthew 13, he said, let me tell you a story. So, I want you to see how the conversation flows. So show us a sign. I'm not going to show you a sign, but the sign of Jonah, because Jonah ministered in a hard-hearted generation, and this generation is just like Jonah's. And he says, let me tell you a story. A, a, a sower went out to sow seeds, a farmer, and he started scattering seeds. So the narrative now is continuing. And he said, some of the seed falls on, fell on the hard path, and the birds came and immediately took it away. And some of the seed, as the farmer tossed it, it got off the field a little bit, and it went into rocks where the soil was real shallow, and the sun came out, and it, and it rose up, but it, because it was so shallow, it died real quick. Um, and, and some of it he threw, and it was that kind of in good soil, but the soil had been overgrown with weeds and thorns, and it started to grow, but as it grew, like the thorns and the weeds, it kind of choked it so it wasn't productive. And he said some of it fell on good soil. And, man, it took root, and it produced this great harvest. This all follows in this line of teaching about Jonah. And everyone said, man, that, like, that was a great sermon. But I love Jesus' disciples because they're more honest than we were. They got back to the room with Jesus and they're like, man, that, that thing about the farmer and the seed, that was unbelievable. And Jesus like, thanks. And they're like, uh, what does it mean? Like, it's a great message, but we don't get it. The disciples were continually going to Jesus saying, that was awesome, but we don't get it. Um, and Jesus said, here's the story. He said, the sower's God. And he said, God is constantly trying to get people's attention. We talked about that with Moses in the burning bush. Um, and he said, God is constantly throwing seed. God is constantly giving his word. God is constantly moving our spirit. And he said, some people, God tries to move on their heart, man, and it's like that hard soil. And no matter what happens, no matter what God does, he can't get through to their heart. 
And some people are like the, the rocky soil. It's, you know, they hear something that God wants them to do and like they do it for two or three days really excited. But because they're shallow and they, and they don't have any depth spiritually, like they do it for two or three days and then they quit. And he said some people, their hearts are like the thorns. And he said, you know, the soil's actually good, but the thorns, here's what he called the thorns. He said the worries and the stress in life are the thorns. And even though people want to go live for God, like they're so stressed out and worried about things that they just, like what God wants them to do gets choked in the process of just living life. And he says some people, their heart is like the good soil and their hearts are so soft that like anything God says, take roots and it goes. So we're at youth camp a couple weeks ago and some of our students are here who were at youth camp. And I started off the week of youth camp with Matthew chapter 13. I said every kid here at camp this week will hear the same message, the same way, the same songs. The only thing that's going to make a difference this week in anyone's life is the condition of your heart. How's your heart? And man, what was so cool to me was the teens who got honest, the adult leaders who got honest and say, you know, I got a hard heart. Like I really, you know, some things in my life have happened. My heart is really hard and God can't, God can't get through right now. And we had one of our adult leaders who said the biggest thing that happened in my life this week is God began to soften my heart a little bit. Uh, we had some teens that were honest. So I, I'm just shallow. Like, I get excited for a week, and then I don't care anymore. Uh, we had some leaders who were honest and said, you know, as excited as I want to be for God, the stress in my life, the anxiety in my life, the financial pressure in my life, I just always live like I, I feel like I'm being strangled spiritually. Um, and what we found is that everyone had a different degree of kind of hard heart of things that kept them from pursuing God. If, as, as, uh, as we look at Jonah, we can see why his heart was hard. Um, and, and I think a lot of us have similar traits to Jonah in some of these areas. Uh, the first episode, when we look at Jonah's life, we say, why was Jonah's life hard? Well, the first picture of Jonah we are shown tells us that his heart was hard because of fear, which, which makes total sense. Now, we don't understand that without the background of the story, but once we understand the story, we understand that Jonah, you know, why wouldn't Jonah listen to God? Because he was afraid. You know, last week we talked about spiritual giants, and uh, I, I've been talking to people all week long who, you know, I've not asked them, hey, did you figure out your spiritual job? But they have come to me. And I've heard dozens of different people from finances to marriage to spouses to kids. Uh, but, but I heard a really interesting one last week at small group that two or three guys, when one guy said it, two or three guys were like, yeah, that's mine too. And it was fear. He's like, you know, I'm, I just, like, I don't know what people are going to think of me if they hear that, like, I am a... The words they use, well, I'm a practicing Christian, like I'm really trying to live for God. Fear. There may be some of you in here who are just like Jonah, and the reason you don't go out and do what God tells you to do every Sunday at church, the reason you haven't made the tough changes in life that you need to make spiritually is because you're afraid of what your spouse might think of you. You're afraid of how it might impact your job. You're afraid of how it might impact your friendships. You're afraid. Jonah was afraid. Jonah was afraid for very good reason. Not only were the Assyrians conquering Israel, and 30 years after his time, he prophesied in about 755 A.D. Uh, or, or B.C. In 722 B.C., they literally would burn Israel, northern Israel, to the ground. It was just gone. There's just nothing even there now from that time. Um, Assyria w- was terrorizing Israel. And I want to use that word because Assyria, Assyria were, were some of the first... They were some of the first people that historians would refer to as terrorists. They wanted to strike fear in the heart of the people that they conquered. I had a professor in seminary tell me that one of the marks, one of the trademarks of the Assyrians is when the Assyrians would conquer a town, 
they would behead everyone in that town and they would pile their heads up at the front gate. And then they would skin the body, they would sew the skin together, and they would cover the heads at the front gate with skin so that anyone who went by knew the Assyrians had been here and conquered, the, conquered this place. They were historically one of the most violent, wicked, terroristic-type conquerors that have ever walked the face of the earth. This would be God telling Jonah to go to Nineveh would have been like a few years ago God calling us to go tell Osama bin Laden that he was going to come get him. That you don't expect to return from that mission. I want you to go to Jonah, the very center of hell on earth, and I want you to tell the most evil, wicked, violent, godless people in the world that I'm coming after him. And Jonah was like, uh, right. I've got vacation scheduled. Let me get on this boat. I'll get back with you. You know, hey, I know a deacon who can go and do that. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's like, there's no way. He was afraid. He was afraid for very, very good reason. But we find out it was more than fear. And this is where, like, Jonah's heart's turned inside out for us. And it's like, man, this guy, I, I, for those of you who have Twitter, um, and if you don't know what Twitter is, it's nothing bad. When I say I tweeted something, that's nothing vulgar uh, at all. Um, but yesterday on, on Twitter, you know, as I'm studying this and getting ready to, to teach today, you know, I'm thinking, man, Jonah was a punk. He was a punk. His heart was so hard. He's like, man, it, you know, this guy, yeah, he was afraid, but according to the Bible, there's more. You say, where is that? In Jonah chapter 3, we, the second picture we see of Jonah, we find out not only is he hard-hearted because of fear, but he's hard-hearted because of the word that I use is disdain. Disdain. We find out that Jonah hated these people. And he didn't want God to forgive them because he couldn't forgive them. And he didn't like them. And in Jonah chapter 3, and in Jonah chapter 2, uh, we won't read Jonah chapter 2 because jo- all Jonah chapter 2, Jonah decided to like write a poem of what he was thinking inside the whale. Um, and that's, that is Jonah chapter 2. It's like, wow, I'm inside a whale and here's what I'm thinking. I assume he wrote it after he was out of the whale. But th- Jonah chapter 2 is his thoughts in the whale. If, if this would have been me, my Jonah chapter 2 would have been like, yeah, how in the whale did I get here? Um, I mean, it's it, uh, just wild. In the whale. You get in the whale. He was in the whale. Um, you know, so, it, so he writes a poem. God, I'm in a whale. I thought I was going to die. You saved me. Chapter 3. So he gets to Nineveh, and here's what we find out. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through 4, verse 4. The word of the Lord, so the whale spits him up. That's what we find out. In the belly of the whale, three days, the whale spits him up. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. That's huge in ancient times. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. You can't have imagined that he thought he was going to say that more than one time before he, he was killed, right? 40 more days, and he, like, he's ducking, like hiding in the corner. 40 more days, and then pointing to someone. That's him. Um, if that's sea bass, um, verse five, the uh, I don't even know where I am. Um, verse five, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Now, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. 
He covered himself with sackcloth and he sat down in the dust. This is, this is like the most evil man in the world who, who God has just gotten through to him. While God's preacher, God can't get through to him. Really interesting. This is a proclamation he issued to Nineveh. This is what the king told Nineveh they had to do. By decree of the king and his nobles, don't let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we won't perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And he didn't bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Chapter 4. But to Jonah... This seemed wrong. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord. And he said, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you're gracious and a compassionate God. I knew you're slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew you're a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it would be better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right For you to become angry. Jonah had disdain in his heart. I went and and looked up that word disdain. Webster's Dictionary defines it this way. I want you to listen closely now. The feeling that someone or something is unworthy of one's consideration of respect or contempt. Let me read that again. Keep it on the screen. The feeling that someone or something is unworthy of one's consideration or respect. A synonym is contempt. I believe we are guilty in the Christian church in 2012 for holding certain people in society with disdain. We don't like them. We don't love them. We don't pray for them. We don't want God to forgive them. We want God to destroy them because they're in our way. You say, Christian, how do you know? Listen to the way you, you as a Christian talk about certain types and groups of people. We talk about them with disdain it's not like we're not saying well you know that we just don't like what they do we don't like what they stand for they just need to get closer to god no we have gone from saying they need god to saying they're evil they need to go away that's where jonah was jonah told god i listen the reason i didn't want to go to assyria first i was scared out of my mind but secondly i thought if they repented you'd forgive them and man i didn't want that to happen these are evil people god man listen to how some christians talk about certain political parties like they do with hate in their voice. Listen to how some Christians talk about certain lifestyles with anger. Listen to how Christians talk about certain segments of society. How Christians 50 years ago in the civil rights area talked about certain ethnicities. How Christians talk about certain religions. We don't do it with love in our heart. We're like Jonah. If we were to be honest, we just want them gone. We're not praying God will save them, that they'll repent, that they'll change. We're not praying that God will get a hold of their heart. We're just praying that they'll go away. And Jesus said, if you want to understand me, I'm a lot like Jonah. I'm coming to people that a lot of people in the church don't, they don't want these people in their church because they're messy. But I'm coming to reach people that everyone else has disdain for. Man, as Christians, we ought to be the most soft-hearted, big-hearted, God-can-reach-anyone, change-anyone, the power of Jesus in people, 
can work miracles. That ought to be our stance towards anything and everyone. People over here and people over here. People who love our God and people who don't love our God. Our only goal ought to be to show them Jesus and let Jesus change their life. I'm not saying that all religions are fine. But I'm saying, regardless of what religion someone is, if they meet Jesus, they can change. We don't need to cast them all to hell. God, one day in his judgment, will do this for those who have rejected him. But we can't, we can't reject them before God has. And that's where Jonah was. God said, go. Jonah said, I don't want to. Why? Because they'll kill me. Okay, why else? Because they might love you. And I don't want them to be forgiven. Because I don't like them. It's really interesting. But this is, this is where Jonah this is where Jonah was. But we find his hard heart is he, it's even worse than disdain. I mean, it's worse than fear. We can listen. The, the fear is reasonable. Like we would hear that and be like, yeah, I get that. The disdain is understandable. I mean, it's not right spiritually, but it's like I can kind of understand. I can understand why he'd feel that way. But the third episode of hard heartedness we see in Jonah's life doesn't even make sense. And this is this is where as I was studying yesterday, I just thought, man, he's a punk. He was hard-hearted because he was distracted. I mean, at the end of the day, Jonah cared more about what was going on in his life than he did about people who didn't know God. He even cared more about the stupid things in his life than he did about people who needed to hear about God. Look at Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. So he and, he and God have just gotten in an argument because God forgave him. And Jonah said, man, why'd you do that? And God said, wait a minute. Who are you to be angry about this? Verse 5. So Jonah had gone out and he sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. It was like Kansas City, July 7, 2012. It was hot that day. Jonah wanted to die. And he said, here again, it would be better for me to die than to live. Second time. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. It's like, this guy needs a kick in the pain. Someone needs to spank him, you know, and just say, stop it, Jonah, you little punk. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it, you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I not have more concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who came until their right hand from their left? And also many animals. Man, Jonah was hard-hearted because he was afraid. Makes sense. Jonah was hard-hearted because of who these people were and what they had done. That also makes sense. But for Jonah not to want to go minister because, like, his air conditioning broke. Now, this week that might have made sense. But normally, it's like, come on, Jonah. Don't tell me that these petty things in your life are more important to you than seeing people hear about Jesus and become Jesus followers who have their lives radically changed. He was 
distracted by a vine. And what's really interesting is God said, Jonah, listen to me. He said, Jonah, you are so hard-hearted right now that you care more about this plant dying than the 120,000. I want you to see how God phrased it. God said there's 120,000 people in the city who don't know their right hand from their left hand. Scholars tell us that that means they were probably children under the age of three. Didn't know their right from their left yet. God said, Jonah, listen. You're more distracted by your junk going on in your life. You're more burdened by your junk going on in your life than you are for the 120,000 children who would be dead in 40 days if I didn't do something about it. Jonah, Jonah, that's not right. You know, I have to wonder how many people in here would find themselves, if, if you were to study the condition of your heart, it, it, it kind of kind of sounds like that when you knock on it. You're not bad people. You say, oh, you know, I'm not, a hard, I'm not a hard-hearted person. No, but maybe your heart is hard. Because you're just distracted. You don't have time for anyone else because you're so distracted with you. That's where Jonah was. God said, Jonah, you care more about shade than you do about 120,000 children under the age of three. Who I'm going to destroy. Jonah, that's not right. Jesus in Matthew 12 looked at the crowd that said, prove that you're God. And Jesus said, remember, remember Jonah? He said, just like it was in the days of Jonah, it's going, to, it's going to be like that. When no one else cares, I, I'm going to. And like God forgave that city, more than God forgiving the city, like God forgave Jonah and continues to use Jonah, he said, I am here to give second chances. You know, maybe you're distracted by the vine. Maybe you're afraid of people to know that you're a Christian. Maybe you have disdain for a certain group of people and your, your heart is becoming calloused because of that. And today, like Jonah, you, you need to try to figure out if God is speaking to your heart to change a little bit. You see, we, we learn the background, and the background teaches us context, and, and then we learn about a hard-hearted Christian. But maybe the greatest thing about this story, number three, is the love of God. Because that's what's paramount in, in this biblical narrative, God's love. And it's really God's love for two... You say, God's love for the Ninevites? God's love for the terrorists? yes. But really, his love for them is secondary in this story. His compassion on them is secondary in this story. You know, our mission statement as a church, and, and I try to say this as often as I can so people will understand, but, you know, we started this church so that people who were far from God would become passionate Christians who would make a difference in the world. And what Jonah tells us is that there are two types of people who are far from God. So you started this church for like people far from God. Like, who are people far from God, Christian? According to Jonah, there's two types of people who are far from God. The first group is hard-hearted Christians. You can be a Christian, have Jesus in your heart, used to be real active and engaged in what was going on spiritually. But if you were to be real honest today, like our students were at youth camp, when I said, hey, rate yourself. If you were to be honest today, you'd say, you know what, I'm not real close to God. I am a Christian, but I'm not real close to God. Jonah was not real close to God. As a matter of fact, when Jonah found out where God was, he took off running in the opposite direction as fast as he could. As, as far as Jonah was from God, he wanted to be further. And God just kept loving him three times. He said, I just want to die. God said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. God was so patient with Jonah. It's really cool to, to see that 
God, we call these in the church planning world, we call these de-churched people. You know, probably in Lee Summit, Cass County, Overland Park, Independence, the people that our church reaches a little bit, probably there are more de-churched people in our communities than unchurched. Say, what's the difference? De-churched people are people who grew up in church, know a little bit bit about church, um, you know, probably follow God. They just don't go to church anymore. Why? It's life. You have kids under the age of 10? Life is busy. Got a job? Life is, I mean, it's just, just busy. They're, they love God. They're just not close to God right now. There's probably more of those than people who are true. What are unchurched people? They're people who they've never been to church. They don't know anything about Jesus. They don't know anything about God. And we've had many of those who have come to our church and begun a relationship with Jesus. But most people in our community who are out watering their lawns today, they're not anti-God. They just, they're not connected to a church. God is pursuing them according to the book of Jonah. But God is also pursuing people who have not yet entered into a relationship with him. They don't know how much yet he loves them. Regardless of what they've done in their life, the mistakes they've made, the consequences of those mistakes, the horrible violence they may have committed like the Assyrians, God wants them to know, I still love you. I'll still forgive you. We, we can still have a relationship. I still want to be your friend. I want to be your God. And we see that in two of the greatest verses in the New Testament, John 3.16. It's a verse if you watch football games this fall. And by the way, I'm so excited that the NFL training camps start this month. I mean, like we are finally to football season. I told someone fake NFL football is better than any other real sport any day of the week. So when the Hall of Fame game comes on, I will make chips and salsa and sit in the chair and watch all four quarters, even when the guys that no one knows are playing, because fake football is better than any real other sport. Um, I don't even know where that... Oh, here's my point. So when you're... <laughs> what am I talking about? Um, so... So when you're watching the football games and, they, and they, somebody goes to kick a field goal and you see it all the time and somebody in the end zone holds up a sign, John 3.16. You see that all the time watching football games. What's John 3.16? It's the greatest verse in the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world, the unchurched, the dechurched, just everyone, everyone, the Assyrians, Jonah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have everlasting life. That's the God that we serve. And then the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 8, 9, that the reason God hasn't come, the reason we haven't experienced the end times yet is because God is waiting for more people to hear about him so they can have a connection to him. 2 Peter 3, 8, 9 says, Don't forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise. As some people understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you because he doesn't want anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. That's our God. You know, there are a lot of people who God is as foreign to them as a, you know, I was thinking about this this week. Can you imagine being brand new to America and knowing nothing about it and sitting in your house on July 3rd or July 4th? You would literally think that you were at war if you lived in my neighborhood. If you didn't know anything about independence or fireworks and all you, you would be like my dog who, like we found and crammed into the craziest places because he's scared to death of fireworks. You, you would just be really confused. Some people are that clueless spiritually. They know nothing of God. God is just some big boom in the sky that maybe they're scared of. They don't know how to handle. They're not sure what he is. And like Jonah, we have to decide whether or not our hearts will be soft enough to overcome our fears, our disdain. If our hearts will be soft enough to overcome all the things in our life so that we can go invite someone to church, tell someone about Jesus, let them know that God loves them, And he's waiting on them. The reason 
we're not all living in the end times yet is because maybe you have a friend or family member that God is waiting on. He's waiting on them. He loves them. And he wants a relationship with them. Now, maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe God's waiting on you. Um, and the reason it hasn't all ended yet is because God wants you to know he loves you. Regardless of anything you've done in your life, he wants you to know he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. So we're going to end today by giving you the opportunity, if you've never begun a relationship with God, to do that. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. and With every head bowed and every <clears throat> eye closed, if you're in the room today and you're like the king of Nineveh, who was just kind of living his life and uh, not really thinking about God, but then he heard that God's real and he needs to make peace with God or is he going to be destroyed? He immediately stopped and said, I trust that this message is true. And he said, God, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And God said, yes. To the shock of the world, God said, yes. Today, God will say yes to your prayer of repentance. I promise you. Regardless of how much disdain somebody's looking on your life with because it doesn't meet their standard, God's only standard is what the Bible calls repentance. God, I'm sorry. God will accept you, love you, give you his spirit, and then his spirit will help you work out the details. That's how it works. So if you're in the room today and you've not begun a relationship with the living God that loves you and wants to radically change your life, then I just want you to pray this prayer today. Say, Christian, I don't know how to pray a prayer. I'll pray it. You can just repeat it after me, and you don't even have to repeat it out loud. You can just say it in your heart because God listens to the prayers of our heart. And if that's your intention to begin a relationship with God today, then just pray this prayer. Dear God, I want to have a relationship with you. And I believe that Jesus loves me, that he accepts me, that he died to forgive my sins, that he rose again so that one day I can have everlasting life. While I may not be able to prove all that, God, I accept it by faith today. Trust that it's true. And I ask today that you will forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Help me begin my spiritual journey. Thank you for loving me, accepting me. Now change me into what you want me to become. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Please, no one looking around out of respect for those around you. If you just prayed that prayer today, would you just slip your hand up so that I can know and rejoice with you and just say, man, awesome. Just all over the room. If you pray that prayer, just slip your hand up. You can put it back down quickly. Now with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, let me talk not to the Ninevites, but to the Jonas. Who uh, maybe God's been calling you to do something. And although you have a relationship with God, Jonah was a prophet of God. He knew God. He just wasn't at a place to serve God. His heart was hard. If you're a Jonah in here today, maybe your heart is hard because of distraction. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's disdain. Maybe it's something that happened. I want you today to pray a simple prayer that God would soften your heart. I don't want to tell you what to do. God will tell you what to do. But I I know this. you, You won't even hear what God wants you to do if your heart isn't soft. So I just want you to pray today right where you are. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray, God, soften my heart. Soften my heart, God, so I can hear how you want me to follow you. Now, God, we give these things to you. And, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to see our Nineveh 
Help us to see the people in our life that need you. Help us to invite them to church. Help us to invite them to small group. Help us to tell them that, you know, we've kind of begun a relationship with Jesus and it's been real good for our life. Help us to let them know that you're real and you love them and you've got great plans for their life if they would come and find out what those are. God, we love you. We're thankful that you have our attention. We give you our hearts. We ask you to change our lives so that we can be more like you. We see things in Jesus' name. And everyone said today, amen. I'm going to ask you to take your connection.